0: Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at Bright Think Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSAEMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, BeyondTheMaskPodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests on our show we want to care for you join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the crna industry beyond the mask starts in 10 9 8 7
2: I'm doing very well. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Busy day, running around a little bit, but uh, but that's good. We won't say that is a bad thing.
2: Well, it could be a bad thing because the market's been going crazy, and I'm sure your phones have been going crazy too, right? It's,
1: it's been an interesting five months. Let's put it that way for sure. But uh, <laughs> you know, a little, a little bit of reprieve in the last week or so, which is which has been good. But uh, you know, this this too shall pass.
2: Yeah, you still got the alcohol in the drawer in your in, in your desk <laughs> in your office.
1: <laughs> only if needed. Only if needed. Um so yeah, I, had a lot of, I have had a lot of people call and say, Is it time to jump out the window yet? I'm like, not quite. We're still good. Okay. We're still good.
2: We're still in an election year. There's hope.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, Sharon, you know, we have got a, a wonderful show lined up today. Actually, this show came from you doing the ifna meeting and, and being there and making a contact. So I'm gonna maybe let you introduce a little bit about the, how this came about and introduce our guest today.
2: Okay, I will do that. Well, a little bit of background. Of course, I was at the IFNA meeting, and Tracy Castleman was with me when I heard our guest give his lecture. And we walk out, and we were both just amazed by the story that he had related during his lecture so I saw him walking I was sitting with a bunch of people at the bar (laughs) and I saw him walking through and I stopped and told him how much I enjoyed his lecture and everything well after I sat back down with Tracy she said why didn't you ask him to be on the podcast I said you know that's crazy (laughs) I should have So the next time i saw him i approached him again i said i swear i'm not stalking you but (laughs) (laughs) i would really love to get you on our podcast and he so graciously um accepted uh the invitation to do that so uh, without further ado i'm going to let and it's olaf jacobson did i say that correctly Okay, good. Olaf Jacobson from Norway, and I'm going to just let you tell a little bit about yourself and your background, and then we will talk a little bit about how you kept all of us riveted to our seats uh, in Croatia. So, Olaf?
3: Yes, hello. I'm a nurse and and I've been that for 42 years almost, and uh, working at the University Hospital of North Norway, the most Northern University in 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 the globe. So I also work uh, as a flight nurse, and uh, I've been working as a university teacher in the in the nurse and uh, program. So that's a little about me.
2: Yeah. So you also work as a first responder, correct?
3: I mean, uh, when you use the term first responder, it's not a work in in this situation. The first responder expression was that I was the first responder, but I also have a part in the Red Cross uh, Search and Rescue Group. So you can say I, I work as a first responder, but not in the common sense in the U.S.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you've got your hands in a in a lot of pies, as we say here in the United States. So why don't you give us some background, start the story out the way you did the day when I heard your lecture.
3: The story is that I went Biking home from work, about seven kilometers from the university hospital. It was a chilly afternoon, dark as it is in December here, no sun. It was a windy, uh, little wet snow, slush. Not very bad winter weather, no, no blister or something, but uh, it's a chilly afternoon. And then I just biked um, past uh, uh, a baby pram at the cycling and walking park. And I, I just uh, started thinking about what is this, starting worrying. I stopped, I went back, and I examined the, the baby pram. There were no baby there, it was not um, a natural place. Nobody would leave the pram there, like uh, perhaps somebody would, uh, some, uh, would do at the, at the parking place or something like that. And then I saw three passports uh, in the basket under the pram. And I saw it was a, a pile of snow, like uh, when they had been um, cleaning the, the road for snow and cleaning the cycle path, it was a half a meter of slush snow. And then I saw these footprints in the snow leading to the coast, to the shore. Mm. And then I started worrying about really uh, about the situation. I got in contact with a, a lady who stopped and asked her to help me. And we uh, went down to, down to the shore following the footprints in the, in the wet slush snow. In fact, avoiding walking in the footprints for some reason. And then I saw the footprints going into the water. At that time, I had my uh, suspicion that something really uh, bad had been going on. And I called the police at 112, rather than calling the health service at 113 in Norway, because I thought this was an unsafe situation. And then we we shared the work i i did go by the shore for some um, hundred meters to the one side and and the lady to the other while i was talking with the police so that was the start of of it all
1: so here you are you you find this and you call it a a, a prim but we call it like a a baby carriage or um yes yes so and obviously doesn't look you know like something that should be happening. and you you took it on yourself to kind of investigate this a little further. You call the police and it it's cold, obviously, because there's snow. What was the temperature?
3: I think it was just below zero, so not that very cold, but wet and and a little windy and a little hail in the in the face. So it was quite chilly, but not not Alaska cold or something like that. Yeah,
2: and it's dark, so yes, it's you dark. have a you have a headlamp or something that
3: you yeah use I had a small riding. headlight uh, uh, used for for biking, and uh, at the roadside there were some lights, but in the in the at the shore there were no lights.
1: Yeah, and it was windy. Uh, I
3: think. yes windy. Yeah, windy. Yeah.
1: So and and you read the passports, um, and then what happens
3: next? While I was talking to the police who is also a rescue center. In Norway, the police is the rescue centers, and they are leading rescue situations rather than the fire brigade. So they have a a double role, or possibly we say that. And then I went back and read the names. But at that time, they have alarmed the ambulances, the hospital, the fire brigade, and all the other resources. There were a lot of other resources coming out. So, while I was talking still to the police, going back to the pram and reading the passports, I heard the sirens and I saw the blue lights in the corner of my eyes.
2: Mm.
1: Wow. So, the police get there and, and what are what are kind of their thoughts? What, what happens at that moment?
3: I did guide them. I, I received them. I, I met them and I guided them to the seashore. They had this very strong, powerful lights, as you have seen perhaps in, in the other places. And uh, they went also down to the shore, also avoiding the, the footprints, possibly thinking about uh, not destroying evidence we don't know. Mm-hmm. And then they um, went on, and they, they waded out into the sea, like uh, some 10, some 20, some 30 meters in the cold water, not very deep. And then they found three persons, um, and brought them up, shouting that they have been doing findings, and shouting to each other, start CPR. And then I heard that and went down and started CPR on the smallest child, the one who survived.
1: So, so how, so kind of the persons who was it? Was it a, a mother and father and a child? What, how old were these folks
3: at the time? We didn't know, but there was it was a mother and three childs. Okay one baby one and a half year and two older childs in school age mm. so, so no no father there okay. and at the time we didn't know that there was four per- persons we found three first okay
2: and you started helping work on the infants
3: yes on the infant together with a police student and later with an experienced um, police uh, woman and i was thinking um, I I can manage airways as an anesthetist. (laughs) So I I did the rescue breathing. I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody who have been in in anesthesia for some weeks, they know that every week we have problem with airways or some challenges at least. Mm -hmm. So I did the airway rescue breathing and I was thinking, uh, should we use 215 uh, rescue breathing and compressions or should we use 230 as we do for adults? And I, of course, I I thought it was a small child. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, in retrospect, did you ever figure out how long they had been in the water? I'm sure they were pretty cold.
3: <laughs> yes, it was it was really cold. But I did. Uh, we, we have the there have been a, an an investigation. There have been reports and so on. So now we we know that had been they had been in water for. Uh, let's say an hour or more than that oh wow wow
2: oh my goodness now whenever i heard you speak you said that they let the hospital you had been working that day and you said that you got yeah. to leave early
3: yes yeah,
2: no so the whole thing was fairly fortuitous that you had seeing the pram you, you said you're glad you left early I guess but yet you find yourself in this situation because you did leave work early and you called back to the hospital and they were you knew that you were going to need ECMO for the patients that were coming in and you went with them to the hospital once they got everybody mobilized and ready to go back to the hospital
3: yes when the first ambulance came uh, there, there were a lot of ambulances, were uh, anesthesia doctors were uh, paramedics. So there were ambulances enough and personnel enough. And of course we all thought about needing ECMO, but we didn't know at the start how many persons it was. But if we got up the three first, we know about them, and we didn't know about the, the fourth person we found found later, and the Emergency Medical Coordination Center, together with the rest of the hospital, they of course, uh, was thinking about preparing ECMO for for these three persons, and later for the fourth. I I was working on the the smallest child and the the infant, and then I went with one ambulance, together with a paramedic, and I was doing um, ventilation during the transport to the hospital. The transport takes about seven minutes or a little more than that. And I I went uh, all the way into the, the operation theater where they had prepared an ECMO for our infant. And the other two persons that had been phoned at that time went into other ambulances with other personnel.
0: Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send them an email at Jr. at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557.
2: Now, let me ask you kind of a, a different kind of question. You said there were anesthesia doctors on the ambulance that came yeah. out. Do they ride on the ambulance?
3: We have uh, f- from the major hospitals... We have anesthesia doctors and rescue men or, or women that are working at the ambulance helicopter. They also have a car for rendezvous with ambulances in the in the closest area. So therefore, oh. there there were there were also um, doctors coming out, but mostly it was paramedics in the okay. ambulance.
2: That
1: okay. was a
3: main situation. So I, it,
2: it I, wasn't just this situation that they come out for. They come out. This just fascinates me because physicians do not come out in the field in the United States. It's all paramedics.
3: Yes, I, I, I read about that and heard about that. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we we had um, all the the competence, all the personnel, be needed quite quickly out there. Just some five, six, seven minutes after I called.
1: Oh wow, that's very quick.
3: And then um, I also for our little infant, uh, I was thinking about which advanced measures should we do out there? Of course, it was securing the airway with an oropharyngeal tube and a ventilation bag that was a basic. And then doing CPR, a little more effective with oxygen at the the time we went into the ambulance. And we also was thinking about having an uh, AED uh, defibrillator and we didn't expect any shockable rhythm, but we put it on and we put it on a, with the a infant pads in the ambulance. And if this has been the only patient we would have put in an orotracheal tube,
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, endotracheal tube at the scene in the ambulance. But because it was a short time to the hospital and be, because we had many patients, we didn't do that. We went on just doing... Advanced CPR with an oral pharyngeal tube and a ventilation bag, and an, an AED and manual compressions.
2: So and did the, did, they, did it have any rhythm at all?
3: In the ambulance, we had an, an, an advanced corporal's uh, uh, AED, or that could be used manual also. Then we could see it was a just a flat line, uh, mm. as expected, as expected.
2: Sure, sure. Now, you are obviously, I'm sure you've dealt with drownings, cold water drownings being like at the gateway to the Arctic. This is probably not the first time um, that you've been involved with or there's been drownings, cold water drownings.
3: No, it's not the first time. I've been working at all the chain of survival, the medical or the trauma chain of survival. I've been like a first aid person outside, and, and also working in ambulance helicopter as a rescue man, and also still working as a flight nurse, and I've been working in the hospital, of course. So, we have regularly somebody been drowning in water, and some like this been drowning in real cold water, and possibly not been drowning, but being hyp- hypothermic, before they stopped breathing, before the heart stopped. Mm-hmm. so um, we we had uh, been participated in two of the world records one of the lowest temperature with a person called anna that has been interviewed in cnn uh, last uh, year uh, the, of the doctor there this record had been um, beaten by the polish uh, last year and uh, we also had this uh, longest time to the res- return of spontaneous circulation but that also had been beaten by the the Swiss uh, persons in Geneva. So I've been working with this regularly in all parts of the chain of, of survival. As you also, uh, if you come to a situation when the person is unconscious or have a heart attack, you know that we where we come into a situation can be all the way, all places in the chain of survival. Mm-hmm. Can be very different situation, but also can be very very different where we come into the to the situation
2: so what are some things that people should keep in mind i've never been involved in a in a drowning situation so what especially hypothermic what are things that run through your mind besides the obvious you know the abc airway all of that kind of thing any anything else that That you have to think of that you would like to share with our listeners that may not have ever done this before.
3: I think it's one main thing is um, if a person is unconscious, being in the cold water, a uh, river, or uh, at the sea or wherever, or just out in the cold, cold rain, then you should think that there is a chance of uh, rescue this person, even. if the person had been there for a little while, as we, as I understood or thought I understood in this situation, so so give the person a chance. I think that's a one one thing. And the, many authors say that no one is dead b- before is warm and dead. Oh, so if means- it's a it's, if it's hypothermia, give the person a little time.
2: Right. Well, it's been, and I I didn't look this up, but I had read an article a number of years ago about the mammalian reflex, which is why some people will survive after a long time in hypothermic waters. And some some people have retained that reflex and it hasn't evolved out. Now, it's the last thing I read, I think it was like 5% of people have that reflex, and that's what happens. They basically shut down whenever they get hypothermic, but I don't know. You probably know a little bit more about that than I do. It's been a long time since I've read about that.
3: I mean, that's one thing that can give the person time. If you if you think about, like, this Polish uh, toddler that had been uh, rescued walking out in the pajamas in, in the cold area just uh, recently... And they uh, his heart stopped, he st- stopped breathing, and they started CPR, and went into a a, ho- a big hospital and started ECMO. So I mean, then I, I guess it would have been that uh, type of reflex. Uh, it was just a general hypothermia going down, and at some times, the person got unconscious, and at some time, the um, breathing and the heart stopped. And of old. course that that children small children they have more um, chances of um, of uh, a good outcome. Olaf how old was the the child at the time? One and a half year. So One and a half years. I mean uh, we d- we didn't talk about if it was it ch- should be treated like a, a child or an infant but we mm. we just intuitively um treated the person as a, as an infant with a, Uh, 15 to 2 compression and and
0: breathing. It's one and a half year. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com.
1: So you're in the ambulance, you rode with this child to the hospital. What happens when you get to the hospital with the child?
3: We do have a, a, a procedure, a protocol that i am um, been aware of because I've been, been uh, working with this kind. And this says that we should go right to the thoracic operation theater we, where we should be received, and then they would consider if this person's person would would um, be put on an ECMO. So the team received us at the operation theater. So I went all the way there and an uh, anesthesiologist and a colleague and an operation nurse theater received me and all this thoracic surgeon, they also came into the, to the theater. So I was received by a team there. And the whole situation was led my, by my colleague uh, Tommy, was, who was a coordinator, and uh, the anesthesia doctor board, who was with him. So it was pretty clear for everybody that we should consider rewarming these three persons, and later the fourth who was found some 10, 15 minutes later.
2: So there were three children, one is one and a half. Did you ever get the ages of the other two children?
3: I, I was not involved directly, but since I stayed at the hospital helping with other emergencies that evening, because I had this workload of these four ECMO patients, then I was just um, in the in the periphery of, of the, uh, the others.
2: So there are three children and you find out later that it's the mother of the three children.
3: Yeah. So
2: yeah. of the four, and the only one that survived is this infant that yeah. you started yeah. working on first. How old is that child now? How long it's, ago? Was um,
3: it? She's three and a half year old. Oh, no, I think three. Almost. Okay, so
2: it was two two years ago. Yeah,
3: a yeah. little more than two years ago. Yeah, yeah. this was uh, three months before the corona started in Norway, uh. <laughs> the corona shutdown.
1: Uh, uh, Olaf, do do you know what what happened? The reasoning behind is there any? Uh, I mean, what what was the mother doing? I mean, was this on
3: purpose that, that this happened? I understand that uh, there is. Um, I have read part of the. There is an official report on this, an official investigation, in addition to the police investigation, and there they they, uh, they I think they conclude with with that it was a, a depression, she, she was depressed, she was um, not thinking clearly and um, she did bring her three children into the water for some reason. Mm. And how she got two larger children into the water together with the baby, I don't know, it's very hard to think about and yeah. uh, I don't don't think anybody know why more than that she was depressed yeah. or she felt not very good she had been into i mean put into a corner if you could say that
1: yeah yeah who who has the three-year-old now is it with the father or someone else at this point
3: the, the father um, uh, is living with a with a small child and they are going um okay if you can say that uh, yeah the child is still improving, She's uh, she can stand up, she can not speak very good, but she understands most things, okay. and she can eat and drink, and um, she has good, uh, good um, physiotherapy t- treatment, she has good speech therapy, and the, the speech therapist says that words are coming, yeah, so I guess,
1: and, and this is just me not knowing, but it, so there was brain damage maybe to the child because of all this as well.
3: Yeah, of course. Yeah, and she she has sigvilla and she will have sickvila for 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 all her life. Right. But, but as you know that the brain is kind of plastic, uh, what do you call it in in uh, in especially in children and up to the their teenage years they have a possibility of still improving so i mean every time we see her i, I met them last um, uh, time at the 17th of may on our, uh, our national day together with my family oh. and and uh, then i saw even more improving improvement and
1: yeah well that's that's good that you're you're able to, to keep in contact with them and, and so forth and, you know, I mean, you being a, a passerby, you just happenstance there, but you took action. And I think that's kind of the moral of your story is you saw something, you did something about it, you were willing to put yourself out there. And you want to talk about that a little bit for our listeners? Because I know a lot of our CRNAs that that listen would do that um, in the same manner. But, um, I mean, you followed this through and you, you're still in touch
3: with a child. You want to talk a little bit about that? The main thing is trying to do something and trying to, to a- alarm the, the right uh, uh, emergency medical control center or rescue center or whatever thing you have in your country, to give an c- emergency call and to shout out for help in the area, like I got the help from a lady there. And don't uh, be afraid of doing wrong. I mean, in Europe, we have heard about um, the laws in, in the United States, but I understand you have this good Samaritan law. So so um, it's a good idea to try to do something right and call the emergency centers and get some advice in addition to get some resources out. So I think that's, also, and, and, and also don't think complicated, think uh, simple first, and then you can put on things if I'm there, I can, uh, a little more about airways. If all the persons are there, they can, can do a little more about rescuing. And in other ple- places, it could be a, a little more about a fire or something. So, don't be afraid of doing thing, uh, thing wrong. Start to try to, to help, shout out in the area and get some, want to, to help you and get the uh, advices from the rescue centers.
2: Now Olaf, while we have you here, let's talk a little bit about nurse anesthesia practice in Norway and maybe how it compares to the United States. I know we were talking before we started taping and y'all are just called nurse anesthetist there or NA, but y'all don't use the initials NA because you, we were talking about how we use CRNA. You're just nurse anesthetist, correct?
3: That's correct, yeah.
2: And how do you practice in your facilities? Are you by yourself, or there's anesthesiology doctors? Is what I've heard you call them? And how many do they supervise rooms? How does your practice work in Norway?
3: I think like today is a, it's a good example. We have three shorter, short um, uh, operations in, in general anesthesia. I was working at uh, at a theater. I had a colleague who helped me and my colleagues on another theater. So we, one nurse anesthetist on my theater and one on, on the neighbor and one going in between, helping us with lunch and so on, mm-hmm. and there's also one anesthesiologist um, having the responsibility ability for two or three theaters
2: okay so, so it sounds like it's similar to the iron state
3: yeah so i mean that's a that's a uh, standard practice if you say that and if it wasn't a, like a more complicated situation there would be one nurse anesthetist and one anesthesiologist on that on each theater mm-hmm. but usually the anesthesiologist they have a responsibility for two theaters.
2: Two. So yeah. it, it's usually one to two for most of the time. Here, we can have one to four, one to five, one to six. But for traditionally, it's one to two. So t- how big is your facility, your hospital? How many beds in your hospital in the whole hospital?
3: The, like- the administration have shown out the beds. So it's uh, more day surgery and so on. But we are a, a small um, university hospital. We did have about 500 beds. Okay. And it has been a little l- less than that. I think we have some um, 25 places that we where we give anesthesia. So uh-huh. 25 theaters and uh, at the extra department or some out places like uh, could be giving Radiology. radiation. Uh, yes, and also... Participating in emergencies in the hospital, like uh, uh, trauma teams or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so let's say that we on a on an ordinary day we had have thirty places we um, where we work.
2: Now, do you have uh, nurse anesthesia students there also? Are you affiliated with a academic institution?
3: Yes, we have uh, the the local university have an education of nurse anesthetist that has been a part of a, a master degree program for the last five years, seven years, perhaps. And the students are coming to our university hospital, and they also have some time at the local hospitals.
2: Okay. Now, you said that you hmm. graduated in 1979 at Christmas, and yeah. you, you went to school for 18 months. What are the programs like there now have they gone to a longer period of time are they still 18 months
3: if you look at the master degree program it's a standard uh, program that is for two years after the bachelor
2: okay yes
3: and as my colleague rita talked about in the in the congress uh, if not congress we also um, want them to have a a year practice after the bachelor bef- before they start at the anesthesia nursing program. And we have got backup from that from the IFNA organization.
2: Mm-hmm. Sounds very, very similar, similar to United yeah. States practice.
1: But we're a doctorate program now, right? Apparently. Well,
2: yes, yeah, starting, yeah. starting this year. Everybody yeah. who goes in will have to come out with the doctorate going forward. Yeah. So, yeah. Look, let's on, it might be on your horizon out there, Olaf. <laughs>
3: we have some um, PhD uh, students uh, in some of these uh, specialties like uh, intensive care nurse, and we are hoping to have that it, uh, in the NCC program. So we're working on that. And we are working with also a couple of the other uh, nurse and uh, specialist programs in the context of the master program.
1: Well, Sharon, um, I think this has been an excellent show. Um, Olaf, anything you'd like to wrap up with to maybe tell our listeners in the United States? Of course, we're, we're all around the world, aren't we, Sharon? I can't remember how many countries we're
2: 125 countries 125 were downloaded
1: countries. So anything you'd like to close on as we kind of wrap this one up?
3: In my lecture, I sent um, an updated lecture to, to you just uh, some uh, minutes ago and that you can use if you want, and there is some references, and there is also some links, these links are mostly in Norwegian, but they can uh, still say a little about our um, work in in, uh, situations like this. So, I mean, for uh, both uh, those who are studying and those who are not studying, they can find things in my PDF uh, lecture, that I sent to you, if you want to to put that that out, that could be okay.
1: Great, we will definitely definitely link that in the show notes. And and Olaf, we really want to thank you for being on the show today. Um, you know, one of the things that that stuck out to me as I kind of went through your lecture, and not being a, an anesthetist. Um, you know, for me, I I take a completely different view of, of all of the folks that we interview and talk to on the show. But the one thing that stuck out to me, actually there were two things. One, you took action and you had something in your lecture and, and you, you put down here, it's all about caring for others. And, you know, that's what you did. And I think that's what our CRNAs do out there. Um, you're nurses by background, nurses are caring by background, um, and you're, you're also the smartest people that I know, and you're willing to put yourself out there, and I think that's just a testament to you, who you are, and obviously this little girl is alive today because you took an action and you were able to help save her life. So thank you. Thank you. Well, Sharon, I think it's a wrap.
2: I think so.
1: Well... Sharon, you want to close us today?
2: No, I won't. You to. do Don't mess <laughs> me up.
1: <laughs> oh, I love doing that to you. Well, we want to thank our <laughs> listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and
2: Sharon Pierce.
1: If you like our show and you want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow?
2: Well, the best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it
1: positive. As we all know, there's enough negativity in this world for sure
2: absolutely tell all of your friends share us on social media and show us some love (laughs) that's
1: right that's right because you know we're in the top 50 medical podcasts consistently we're number one in the the crna world of podcasts in the united states uh we're very proud of that and sharon hopefully one day we'll be number one overall right
2: absolutely we're on our way
1: all right until next time
2: it's a wrap
0: As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families.